out by asking you guys a question uh, this morning. Is an hour a long time or a short time? Do you guys think it's long or short? The kids at heart are answering. <laughs> you guys think it's long or short? It depends. That's a good answer. They were here in the first service, so they know they answered it. You know, if you're, if, you're gonna, if you're a kid and you're used to having children's classes and you're sitting through the service, then, then an hour might seem like a long time to sit in a church service, right? Uh, if you go to Disney World and your mom and dad say, hey, we only have an hour here, <laughs> then it might seem like a really short time, right? If, uh, if somebody said that they could hold their breath for an hour, your mind would be blown, right? Like uh, that, that's an incredibly long period of time right? Um, you know, if, uh, if I told you that 2% of the world's population um, was going to experience something, you'd be like, oh, that doesn't sound, you know, that's a small percentage, 2% or whatever. But if I told you that 2% of the people that were here this morning were going to get bit by poisonous snakes, that would seem like a lot, right? That would mean like five or six of us are going to be headed to the hospital with snake bite, right? So, so it's all about scale and perspective. It's any number in and of itself is neither big nor small. It just depends on what it's compared to. And, uh, and, and what we're going to look at today is that God wants us to live our life um, in perspective, in scale, to see the things that are going on in our life and to understand the weight and the gravity and the value of them, but also to see them within the, the grander perspective of everything that's going on in, in his created universe, right? And so we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 8 uh, for this, or the 8th Psalm. And uh, we're going to look at that this morning, and you'll see that this is kind of a circular psalm that begins and ends with the same line, and, and the lines that come in between kind of build the case for what, uh, for what the psalmist is telling us here. And so what I want to ask you guys to do, just to make this a little more interactive and, and uh, get you connected with it, I want to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to read this psalm together. There's something powerful in vocalizing uh, the words of God. And so let's, let's read this uh, psalm together. And so it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. You may be seated. Father, you are majestic and you're worthy of our praise. And I pray as we take some time to, to look into your word and to think and ponder upon your greatness, God, that you will just help us to see our life in perspective, to see your greatness, 
and to see uh, the, the, the incredible gift that you've given us of your, your friendship, your, a relationship with the creator of the universe. God, help us to treasure it this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, and so um, begins this psalm with this phrase, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And, and in your Bible, it might be the same as they do in the ESV. Uh, you notice that one of the Lords is all caps, and the, and the second one is a capital L with lowercase O-R-D. And so what it's doing is it's translating Hebrew into English, and there's two different Hebrew words, but we use the same word Lord in English. But really, the first one, when it's in all caps, that indicates the personal name of God, right? Yahweh, the uh, I am that I am, the, the, the eternal, uh, self-existing creator of the universe. This is the personal name of God. And the second Lord is, is more like our, our ruler, our king. Uh, the, the one who is Lord over us. And so when it says, O Lord, our Lord, it's really saying, O, o great I am, O God of all the universe, our King. Right? And so there's something amazing in there, and it's that little word, our, that becomes, comes in between it, right? That, that the creator of the universe, the one who made all things, everything that we see and know and experience, is our personal king. He's, he's our Lord. He's the one that we look to. And, and David was writing this, uh, this psalm from an incredible perspective of saying, oh, man, oh Lord, you, you created everything that I see, all this greatness, and yet the nation of Israel, of which I am the king, you've chosen us as your chosen people out of all the nations of the earth, out of all the people of the earth. You are our personal God. And for us as followers of Jesus, we can say the same. We can say, man, of, of all, the, all the, the people and all your creation and creatures, that you're our personal God. You're the one that we follow. Not only do we recognize you as the one who is overall, but, but you're, there's a personal relationship with you. And you're majestic. We don't really use that word enough, right? Like, did you ever go up to somebody and say, hey, man, I saw your, your Instagram photo. That was majestic. I mean, the way you captured the, the French fries and that quesadilla, it was just, right? Like, Majestic carries a little more gravity than that, right? It's, it's a heavy word. It's, it, it indicates something that's, that's beautiful, that's magnificent, that's worthy of awe and, and wonder. You might say, man, I went to the, the Grand Canyon and it was just majestic. Or did you see that majestic sunset the other night, right? It's a, it's a, it's a bigger word. It, it, it packs in something that we can't quite comprehend. And he says that his glory is above the highest things that we could imagine, above the heavens. Uh, the heavens uh, throughout all of, of, of human history, right, that, that we've all looked up to the stars and just kind of been amazed, like, wow, like, there's vastness, there's wonder, there's, there's, uh, that, that's, I can't imagine anything greater than that, and yet God's glory is above that. Glory is honor that is won by notable achievements or great beauty or magnificence, and, and, and the psalmist is saying, hey, uh, because of everything that we know that you have done, and all the amazing things that we haven't even begun to imagine, we give you glory because you're worthy of it. And so he's saying this from a very specific perspective as, as, a, as a human being who is worshiping the creator God. And from that specific perspective, he's able to worship God in some specific ways. And, and you have that same perspective in your life. Whatever you've gone through, whatever you've experienced, whether you've been richly blessed, whether you've gone through a lot of trials and difficulties, whatever, whatever place you're coming from, you have a unique perspective on worshiping the majesty and the glory of God. And we share this in common, some of the things that David is saying. And so there's, there's three things I want to look at here. The first one is that God's majesty is shown in his use of weak things to display his glory. 
God's majesty is displayed in his use of weak things to accomplish his will, right? If, if you heard somebody say, hey, I'm going to chop down that tree in the backyard, you'd be like, oh, okay, what are you going to use? I'm going to use a chainsaw. Okay, well, call me when you're done, right? Like, but, but if they say, hey, I'm going to go chop that tree down, and you're like, okay, and I'm going to do it with this spork, right? You're like, I'm going to go check that out. Like, that's pretty amazing because he's using something really weak to do something really strong. That's incredible. The, the weaker the, the weapon, the weaker the tool, the greater the one who wields it. And we see this here in, uh, in verse 2. It says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. We have this, this saying in our vernacular, right? Like, oh, out of the mouths of babes. And it's kind of like when your kid says something like, like weird or funny or maybe a little bit too close to the truth that an adult would never say, right? You're kind of like, it's kind of like, ah, oh, the kids say the darndest things, right? It's kind of how we think about it. But, but in this context, uh, he's really pointing to the fact that, that there's wisdom that come from the praises of our kids. As our kids are here singing, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's more profound truth in that statement than there is in the, in the plans and the, and the schemes of kings and rulers, right? That, that out of the mouths of babies and infants. And, and what exactly did David have in mind when he said this? We don't really know, right? Was he, was he thinking about his own humble childhood when he was out playing his harp, singing songs to God with the sheep, and, and the prophet came and said, we're going to call the king, and they lined up all the brothers, and, and he's going down, and he's like, aren't there any more brothers? And they're like, well, there's David, but he's just like out in the field, right? Like completely forgotten in obscurity, and yet God plucked him out and used him uh, as the greatest man of his time. Was he thinking about the nation of Israel who was small and obscure and, and not noteworthy, and yet God elevated them to a, an incredible position of favor in his eyes? We don't know exactly what David had in mind when it says, or maybe he was just speaking prophetically as Jesus would later reference this when Jesus uh, went into the temple and he cast out the money changers and he, and he, and he threw everyone out and, and the children were singing Hosanna to the king and the Pharisees came and said, do you hear what these kids are saying? And he's like, yeah, haven't you heard out of the mouths of babes and infants? You've prepared praise, <laughs> right? Like Jesus says, hey, these kids get it way more than you do. God loves to use the weak to reveal his glory. And the reality is, is that his, his glory is shown more greatly. And so I want to show you a couple places in the New Testament where you can see this. We won't be able to dive deep into it, but it's a place this week maybe you'll want to go back to in, in your personal time of study and, and read up some more. But if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and, uh, and we're going to take a look at verse 18, it says this. It says, For the word of the cross is folly, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, 
to bring to nothing things that are, so that human being might, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who, came, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I ask you this morning, do you, do you feel weak? Do you feel helpless? Do you feel, feel insufficient or insignificant or uh, of no value? Do you feel like you have, have no worth? I want to encourage you that you might be in the exact position that you need to be in to display the glory of God. The weaker we are, the greater opportunity that he has to demonstrate his glory, his strength. So many times we, we, we look at our troubles and our, and our, our struggles and, um, and the problem is not that our struggles are so big and not to minimize them because I know in this room there are some struggles. There are some significant trials. And it in no way minimizes them. But as we walk through them, sometimes we allow our, our troubles to become really big and the problem is that our God is too small. And when you set your eyes on the greatness and the vastness of God, it changes your perspective. Look, uh, just turn a couple pages over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And we're, again, we're not going to have time to dig all this up, but, but take a look at this, what it says. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, right? Uh, jars of clay are fragile. They're, they're easily breakable. Like usually if you have treasure, you would lock it up in a, a safe or a vault or some sort of so, sturdy chest or a concrete uh, fixture. I don't know what you put your treasure in, right? But but God, uh, God, God put it into us, into jars of clay. We're fragile, we're breakable. And it was to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And he picks it up a little bit lower down. And in verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Whatever struggle you're going through, whatever trial you might be facing this week, Scripture tells us that it's, it's significant, it's impactful, but it pales in comparison to the glory that is going to be revealed when we stand before our God and we spend eternity with Him. And, and it even says that He's using these things to prepare us. The more bitter that it tastes right now, the more sweet relief from it will be. And so, uh, not that we should enjoy the pain, not that we should push into it, but, but we should recognize that God has something far greater. The joys will far outweigh the pain. And so, it was, it was tragic this week. I saw that another uh, famous rock star took their life, right? And, um, and it's sad, you know, fame, fortune, success, notoriety, all the things that we strive for, he had all of them. But in the end, he, he didn't feel like his life was worth continuing. And yet there's, there's simple, humble Christians who live with, with relatively nothing in poverty, no notoriety, no outward worldly success. And yet some of them experience a deep and lasting joy that goes beyond anything that this world can offer. And so God uses the weak, the lowly, 
to display his glory. How could someone in that position ever experience joy if it were not from God, right? So, so sometimes we have to reset our perspective and, and kind of step back and say, yeah, I, I need to put food on the table and I need, I need to, to provide some things and stuff. But, but in the grand scheme and scale of things, what, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you allowing in to shape and change me? How can I view all of this in the perspective of all eternity that I'm going to spend with you? So that's the first perspective uh, that, that we see. The second thing is that God shows his majesty by his glorious creation and, and through his glorious creation. It says in verse 3, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? We see that God made everything out of nothing, right? Uh, we, we had the privilege this past week of, of going on a, a, like a one-day beach escape down to the Jersey Shore. Has anybody been to the beach yet this year? Anybody? A couple people that are willing to admit it, right? Not many. Anybody going later this, this year at any point? Okay, right? Like anybody been to a beach before, right? <laughs> so you get out of the car, you know, you go down to the boardwalk and, and, you're, and you're looking and you get there and you're kind of like looking at the expanse from where you're about to step off to down where the water is, and you're thinking, all right, this is like 60 yards of like super hot sand, right? Like, how can I get through here as quickly as possible? And this seems like so much sand. What if I were to tell you that, uh, that, that they've discovered that in the known universe, there are more stars in the known universe than there are grains of sand on the entire Jersey Shore? Think about that when you're sitting there with your, with your feet in the sand. Think about all those grains of sand and there are more stars in the universe than that. That's pretty amazing, right? But the reality is it's actually way more amazing than that. I just started there as a place of scale, right? They actually say that there's more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on every beach and every desert on planet Earth. In fact, they say that there's five to ten times more stars than there are grains of sand. We can't even wrap our mind around around that, right? It's, it's too much to, to comprehend. And so imagine there with your feet in the sand and you're, or, or you're picking up a little bit and, you know, there's two grains beside each other. And so, so our sun would be one of those grains of sand. The next closest grain of sand, the next closest star is four light years away. It's not, doesn't sound like too much, right? Four light years is, it's not that far. Um, it's only four, right? But, um, uh, but light moves at 186,000 miles per second. The fastest man-made craft that we've ever been able to develop goes at 25 miles per second, okay? And so light moves 7,440 times faster than anything that man has ever been able to create and put in motion. And even that is, is kind of mind-boggling because 25 miles per second, we can't really wrap our mind around it. Uh, when I was, I was traveling out west one time, and, and in North Dakota, they have areas where there's no speed limit, right? You can go as fast as, as you can go. And, um, and I had a Volkswagen Fox, so let me tell you, I was going fast, right? But, uh, so going downhill, like uh, whatever, I think I got it up to uh, a little over 100 miles hour, an hour. Let, let's say you're going maybe 120. Is anybody in here going faster than 120 that you can recall? Okay, we've got a few that are, that are willing to admit that, right? But even at 120, right, that's, that means that you're doing 120 miles an hour. So that means that you're doing a mile every 30 seconds. So every 30 seconds, you're going one mile. The fastest craft that we've created does 25 miles in one second. So the scale there is even incomprehensible. But, but it would take, to get to the closest sun, uh, to the next closest star, 
29,760 years on the fastest vehicle that, that we could get. And I don't think man would survive that anyways, right? But so the closest star to us is 30,000 years away. And there are more stars than there are grains of sand on the planet, right? The, the scale is, is really hard to comprehend. There's a video I want to show you that just helps to kind of set up a little bit more of this and help us to gain a little more perspective on our scale in the universe.
crazy perspective, right? And, uh, and if you like this kind of thing, uh, a Pastor Louis Giglio does a whole like indescribable thing you can look up on YouTube and, and, and he goes into a lot of detail uh, about it. Um, it's just incredible. And if you read in the YouTube comments section, which I never recommend doing, but if you read down in the comments, all the discussions, it gets very spiritual and people are either like, how can you see this and still believe in God? Or how can you see this and not believe in God, Right? Um, David looked at it and said, how can you, how can you know, what, even what limited amount that he knew of the universe, he said, how can you look at this and not believe in God? And, and it leads us to this, this incredible thing that, that we're so small and insignificant in the grand scale of the universe. And yet, his final point is that God shows his majesty towards us by placing us in a position of great honor. He takes us, he formed us in his image, he has a personal relationship. It says, what is God, what is man that you are mindful of him? That, that man fills the mind of God. That God, God thinks of us. He ponders us. He loves us. Verse 5, you, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowns him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God put all these things in, and he gives us dominion over his creation. And ultimately, we, we see in, in, in Hebrews chapter 2 that, that when it's speaking, it's speaking of mankind here, but ultimately it's pointing us to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. It says, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are now speaking, but it has been testified somewhere. And we know where that somewhere is. It's Psalm 8, right? What is man that you are mindful of him? What are the son of man that you care for him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And that's true, right? We, we see pain and we see suffering and we see sickness and we see addiction and we see, we see all these things that, that are not yet under subjection to Jesus Christ. But verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Marvel at our majestic God who came to earth as a simple, weak, humble baby in an obscure town to an obscure family and enacted a change that brought eternal salvation to every one of us, to all those who would believe in him. The God that, that created distant galaxies that we haven't even seen yet. Things that would make us just stand with eyes wide in wonder. And nobody's ever even seen them. He's created them. And, and that God loves you and was willing to give his life for you. That leads us to a place where we end where we begin. We say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. We worship you for your revealed greatness. We worship you for, for your use of weak and insignificant things. We worship you for the wonders of your creation. We worship you for, uh, for, for your blessings and your mindfulness of us. We worship you for sending Jesus, who's the fullest expression of all of this. 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.